The scripture for today's sermon comes from Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. The word of God speaks to us. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all of the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is God's word to us. Thank you, Madison. Hey, good morning. One minute away from good afternoon. It's good to be with you guys. Hey, it's been a really sweet day and fun day adding the third service. I'm workshopping some just for my, myself personally names for each service. And so I think you guys are going to be the, uh, the brunch bunch. Um, and then the 10 o'clock will be um, just the vanilla crew because it's like that's the obvious choice to come to. And then the 830 are the overachievers. So I feel good about each one of those. So I appreciate you guys coming. The, every service has been great. The 10 was really full. And so we're going to include some of those or encourage some of those people to, uh, to join the brunch bunch. And join with you guys. And so, and just let them know that we saved the best for last. And so, um, thank you guys for being here. And I just want to say, before we jump in and pray, uh, thank you for the worship team. You guys have, everybody served a lot today, but particularly you guys for serving us three times. Um, they're probably all gone already. But uh, we love you. And so, man, as we begin, and I've been praying this week about this text and in the last few weeks, really, like, it just really strikes me the reality that in this moment in history, it feels like when it comes to specifically what we're going to be talking about today, our womanhood, our manhood, and marriage, that we're just bombarded in lots of ways. Like, it feels like it's coming at us from every direction, and and. There's danger and attack and confusion. It feels like a melee, right, to me. And what, what's beautiful is when Christ Jesus taught about marriage and sexuality, he always took people back to the beginning. He always held up the truth of Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 and pointed to God's vision of what it means to, to be human. And that's why we're in this series, recovering our origin story. We're going back to the beginning to see God's good design for what it means to, to be alive, what it means to be a human. And I believe that this text is, is so timely in this historical moment that, that what the power of God's word can do is that it has the ability to take things that feel dangerous and take things that feel hectic and take things that feel confusing and dark and in the midst of lies, like it shines a light in that darkness. It proclaims truth louder than lies and it slows things down in a way that we just get to see things for what they are. 
And so my, my hope, my prayer today as we dive into Genesis 2 is that we would take hold of God's truth and, and see, yeah, ways that maybe we explicitly know that we're struggling with something or ways that we've implicitly been influenced by somebody else's worldview of what it means to be a man or a woman, somebody else's a cultural view of marriage and the interdependence of a man and a, a woman, that we would able to get God, we'd be able to see by the power of the Holy Spirit, God's call and design for our lives as men, our lives as women, what that looks like together in a, in a marriage or a church, and then be able to walk forward in the victory that Christ has for us. And so let me, let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive into three things. We're going to see God's unique design for man, God's unique design for women, and God's design for our interdependence with one another. So I'm going to pray for you, you pray for me, and then we're going to jump in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all your graces. You've given us so many gifts. And maybe this is like one of our thousandth time to come to this church. And this is regular for us. Or maybe today, this is the first time we've stepped into a place like this in a long time. And I just want to thank you that you love us all the same. And that you're aware of each one of our stories like through and through. That in ways we don't even know our heart, you know our heart. And that you and your love are good. You see us, you're with us, you're leading us. And you're shining light into darkness. So I pray for my, my own heart and my words in these coming moments that I would be able to serve my friends and hold up things that are true by your help, Holy Spirit, that we may all, like in a real way, open our eyes and lift our heads to see the wonder of who you are, Jesus, and what you've done. We, we pray all this, Jesus, in your name. God's people said, amen. All right. I want to begin by starting a little earlier than that text Madison read so well, and just go back a few verses to what we covered last week. Because I want to see us, uh, I want us to see first God's unique design for man. And, and to get a, a view of that, we need to go back to verse 15. Genesis 2, verse 15, just that one verse, I want us to read it again. It says, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So, Brandon talked about it in our prayer time, in our intercession, that two weeks ago we, we dug into the, the reality and the beauty of what theologians call the Imago Dei, the image of God. And the full stop truth of the Imago Dei, what, what Genesis begins to tell us before we get into any unique differences between a man and a woman, is that there is profound equality between a man and a woman because they're both made in the image of God, both made to represent God fully as image bearers, both made to reflect God fully as image bearers, both made to rely on God fully as image bearers. And so with that said and that truth before us, what begins to happen here in verse 15 is we see the unique design first for man. That while both Adam and Eve are called to take dominion of the earth, to fill it, that Adam has a unique responsibility created first. He's placed in the garden and he's given this mandate that if we're reading through Genesis, it's probably tempting to read over without slowing down. But I want to invite us to slow down because there's two words in this one verse that give profound insight to what it even means to be a man, a unique design unique to manhood. And those two words are work and keep. 
Adam is placed in the garden with this two-part mission to work it, to keep it. The Hebrew of work is abad. To keep is shamar. Work means to prepare, to cultivate, to tend, to serve in a real way. That keep means to, to guard, to protect, to shield. These two verbs are used in Scripture to, to moving forward throughout the Old Testament to actually describe they're, they're found together again and again. And outside of Genesis, as you continue to read in the Old Testament, they're found actually always describing the role of a priest in the temple. To work about to minister or to serve and to keep shamar, to, to guard. So when we're asking ourselves big questions, when we're going back and saying, hey, what's our origin story? What does it mean first to be a man? A question that so many people, men and women, are asking in our culture in this moment We get a profound answer just here in one verse that God's call for our first dad, the first man, Adam, was to work and to keep. As one theologian put it in a, a, I think, profound way, on one hand to be a gardener, on the other hand to be a guardian. All for the glory of God under the authority of God. And again, Adam and Eve are equal in their representation of God, in their reliance on God, in their reflection of God. Yet we see here, and we're going to get to Eve and her unique roles, but we see that in Adam's unique role, he was to be a watchman, to guard, to protect, to be aware, to defend, to, to in a, a real practical way, he's like a, a holistic bodyguard made by God. He was given authority and was designed to protect and defend this garden, his wife, his future children, and the culture that he was to build alongside her for the glory of God. And it's the beginning of a picture of what we see all throughout Scripture, the call for men to be servant leaders. Juby um, and I were driving in the car the other day, and she um, told me that some of her friends have, like, a a ongoing fear that since they're the pastor's daughter's friend, they're going to be included as sermon illustrations. (laughs) And I just want to say, I will never do that after this Sunday. Because Juby went to a party. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, Juby went to a party, and it was a cross-country, like, me after party. And evidently, I could be screwing up the story. But as far as I understand it, um, the, part of the fun as the kids were hanging out was there was a, maybe a spontaneous, I don't think it was planned, but an a arm wrestling competition broke out. But very specifically, an arm wrestling competition between the girls and the boys. And that could, in the sixth grade, that could probably go either way. Yeah. But like starting seventh, eighth grade, like the boys were winning, maybe to the chagrin and frustration of some of the girls. But I would present this to you that, that, that maybe God made men with approximately, once we reach maturity, 70 to 90% greater upper body strength. That that, that that physical reality actually sheds light on a spiritual truth. That that strength is to be wielded for the benefit of others, to keep, to cultivate, to work, to sow into, to guard, to protect. So listen, men are not better than women, period. Men are not more spiritual than women, full stop. Men are not 
smarter than women. We all know that. Men, men are not tougher than women. I have seen my wife give birth four times. I couldn't do it. But men are called by God to guard and protect and facilitate and serve for the flourishing of others. And this is, check it out, it's a fatherly role. That's a unique calling of what it means to be a dad. And that's why through the Old Testament priests and the New Testament pastors, those roles are reserved for men because those, those roles are fathers in the community of God. And the community of God needs fathers and they need mothers. And those, have, those two roles are unique, but they are, they're meant to go side by side for the flourishing of everyone. The Bible affirms that Adam's order in creation doesn't make him better than his bride, but it does give him unique responsibility, listen, to initiate, to lead, to protect, and to be a servant leader like Jesus ultimately is the perfect servant leader, to be present, to be spiritually alive, to proclaim truth for the good of others, to be sacrificial, all under the authority of the Heavenly Father. And we see that he, he botches this. He, he, he next week, it's, it's the next chapter, the next Sunday, he fails at this. And Eve does too, but in the midst of their failure and their rebellion, who does God come to speak to first? He wants to talk with Adam first. The conversation begins with Adam. For my life and for my brothers in this room, if, if we are honored with the role of, of husband or dad or have any measure of spiritual authority, pastor, elder, that we are responsible in unique ways for the health of our, our marriage and the, the, the life of our family. Yes, husbands and wives are responsible for the health of the marriage. Husbands and wives are responsible for, for the health of a family. Deacons and elders are responsible for the health of a church in unique ways. But when Jesus wants to have a conversation about correction, he always is going to come to this keeper and worker in the role of, of servant leader first. And to deny that responsibility is to deny men the unique ways in which God has made us to serve others. And as I was just reflecting on this personally this week, I just stopped and, and, and went through an exercise and I just asked to like my own heart to reflect and think through a time in, in my life when God worked in and through the life of a man, whether it be a father or a brother or a, a mentor or a spiritual leader or even a friend, a stranger that I just had one encounter with, but worked in their life in such a way that deeply blessed me and impacted me. Think of a time in your life where a man burned so bright with the love of God that you felt the warmth of, of truth. And I suspect in those moments, if you could just slow down and ask the Holy Spirit to bring to mind a moment where you were served or impacted, blessed in a deep and true way by some man in your life, that if you can consider that in one way, shape, or form, I'm certain that that man was either working for the good or keeping to protect in some way, shape, or form. May we be a church where men work and keep for God's glory, but that is not nearly enough. If we stop there, like 
mission is doomed, purpose is doomed, because the second thing we need to see is God's unique design for a woman. Picking up in verse 18 where Maddie began, then the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now, if we go back to Genesis 1, what we need to remember is that there's been this like rhythm and beat happening through the entire narrative of creation. And, and God is creating things, and, and almost every day he's seeing and affirming that things are good. He makes the heavens and, and the skies and, and light and darkness and beauty. He's affirming it's good. He's making birds and fish. He's seeing that it's good. He's, he's making animals. He's making man. And he's affirming that it's all very good. And there's this rhythm seven times. God sees that it's good. God sees that it's good. God sees that it's good. God sees that it's very good. And we have that beat in mind as we're, we're reading through Genesis and we're in this rhythm. Yet here the record scratches and the lights of the party of creation turn on because something's not good. And God's intentionally bringing this interruption that's jarring. And it's not that something's gone wrong. There's been no sin yet. There's been no fall. But it's something is unfinished. Something's incomplete. Something's not quite right. And just studying commentaries about this phrase, not good, it's meant to, in the original readers, they would have received it in a way that's, that's pretty extreme. It's not like, hey, something's missing, like I'm frustrated, I can't find my keys. It's like something's missing, all of a sudden I realize my child is not by my side at the grocery store. Or as I've experienced, like, I just got done playing flag football and my wedding ring is missing. That took two months I thought I was supposed to have it forever. Something precious to me is gone. What happened? It's that type of shock that you feel where something shoots up your spine when something precious to you is not there. That's the feeling that should strike us when we, when we read, it is not good, it is not good that man should be alone. Something, specifically someone, is missing. And, and what should strike us too as we're reading this, that this... This isn't an afterthought by God. Adam is not complaining. He's not saying, hey, I'm lonely. I want to go out on a date, right? He doesn't know. He's, he's, we assume, rightly, perfectly content in paradise with a lot of work to do, communing with God. But God is seeing and speaking in his sovereign intention and saying, everything's been very good up to this point, but there's one thing that's not good. Because the crowning jewel of creation has not come into the story yet. And you get a sense that he wants Adam to, to feel this too. Verse 19, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. So there's something profound happening here where when, when Adam speaks, when man speaks, nothing is created. Reality isn't formed. God forms reality by speaking. God says what's true in reality. Out of his mere words, things come into being. But what humans can do is actually just affirm the reality of God's creation. We get that twisted in so many ways in this current cultural moment. I say things, therefore they are. That's not how it works. We can't create anything. We don't shape reality by what we say or what we innerly sense. God makes reality. 
we can recognize what's true. And that's what Adam is doing. He's bringing about this work that God's called him to do, the order of the world. He's exercising his stewardship, his God-given authority. He's been given in chapter 1. And he's going through this major endeavor. But as he does, we begin to feel that he feels what God has already declared. It's not good for me to be alone. Verse 20, man, the man gave names to all the livestock and to all the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But Adam, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. And so we come to this word, helper, and I don't know how that strikes you or what you think of when you hear it. But if I'm honest, when I hear it, I think of a book that I've been reading to my kids for like 14 years called Be Daddy's Helper. It's a little golden book. Julie, I don't know if you remember this when you were a kid. I don't know when it came into play. But we tried to use it to indoctrinate our children that is the most fun they could have is helping with household chores, right? And I love the dad in the book because he's smoking a pipe while he does everything, it's like playing with his daughter with his pipe and chopping wood with his pipe. He's, he's, it's a different time. But uh, it's, it's, it's a fun book. And the kids are like helping dad paint a fence and helping dad wash the car. And they're dad's helpers. And it's cute. And they get to come along with important stuff. And yet, like, there's something patronizing about that. There's something belittling about that. And we might, when we read Genesis 2 and hear that woman was created to be a helper fit for him, that might be where our mind and heart goes. What does that mean? Is it this woman just to get to come along for the ride? Or does, is she like a personal assistant, you know, sent by God? Look, there's none of that here. And we know that because to understand what it it meant for the woman to be made as a helper, we look at how that phrase is used throughout the rest of Scripture. And to get a grasp of that, we have to look to God himself in relationship to his people. The Hebrew of that word helper is ezer. It, it straightforward means someone who comes to the aid of another. The first two times it appears in all Scripture is this chapter, but 19 more times throughout the Old Testament, it's used in relation to God and his people. Case in point, Exodus 18, Moses refers to God as his helper to deliver him from Pharaoh. In Deuteronomy, three times in that book, God is referred to as his helper who rescues and comes to the aid of his people. You probably know, even if you don't know, it's Psalm 121, verse 1, that God is referred to as helper. The psalmist writes, I look to the hills, where does my help come from? So helper is not cute, right? Helper is not patronizing. Helper is powerful, rescuer, deliverer, desperately needed aid. It's a formidable truth to be a helper. And, and to really get the full richness of what is being communicated here, it's not just helper that we need to understand, but the full meaning of the phrase, the helper fit for him, that fit for him in Hebrew is neged. It means to be in front of, in sight of, facing, in, in a w- real way that could say matching him, but not like him. Scripture is saying here that woman is not made as a clone. Woman is made as the missing piece to complement man. 
the final and finishing touch before God can say creation is very good. There's a book that when I came back from sabbatical, everybody was in the midst of or finishing up reading, and so I'm trying to catch up, and I'm not done yet, but it's a, it's a profound book. It's beautiful. It's called The Genesis of Gender by Abigail Vivali. And uh, let me read a portion of this to you. She's speaking about, she's speaking about, writing about this moment in Genesis. She writes, at last, immediately he recognizes in the silent declaration of her body that she is both like him, more like him than any other earthly creature, and not like him. Their differences are complementary but asymmetrical. This is not a mere image or polar opposite. She resembles him from their shared humanity, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, but differs in the feminine form of her humanity. Listen, Genesis affirms a balance of sameness and difference between the sexes. There's a delicate balance that is, this is a delicate balance that is difficult but necessary to maintain. Most theories of gender lose this balance, veering into extremes of uniformity. Men and women are interchangeable. Or polarity, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Both extremes lose the fruitful tension expressed here in Genesis. In Genesis 3, this next chapter, we get this account of of woman being named. And again, as Adam is as doing that, he's not speaking anything into creation. He's affirming and recognizing what God has already done. So when Genesis 3.20 writes, the man called his wife's name Eve. Why? Because Eve means she was the mother of all living. Adam is just recognizing the unique, distinctive way that Eve has been created. Biologically, the mother of all living things, relationally, culturally, the giving life is part of her unique design. And with every daughter of Eve, just like there's a parallel truth to the strength of men that, that points something to a spiritual reality, there's a profound parallel truth to the ability of a woman to, to carry and, and create life for nine months, then through great sacrifice and pain to herself, give birth to something new, that that is a spiritual reality in the unique design of a woman that points to something that's profound about the very nature of who God is and what he's like. That's why I think it's, it's subtly evil that we live in a culture that is, is increasingly belittling motherhood as something that is an unworthy endeavor. And I want to be a part of a church that, that champions the fact that being a mom is a profound and glorious endeavor. But life-giving is not just a biological reality in the essence of a woman. The, the reality of all daughters of Eve is that there's a life-giving reality as to how God has made you. There are like lots of cultural examples that are interesting to explore in this, but, but my heart this week was drawn to just the, the biblical examples that are really formative. They're often overlooked. Like the most important story in the Old Testament is the Exodus. God delivering his people out of slavery for hundreds of years. But you know, how does the Exodus, Exodus story begin? What's the very genesis of that profound story? 
that there are strong women and courageous moms and brave midwives and even a compassionate Egyptian princess who all are what? Coming to the rescue and fighting and championing life in the midst of a culture that's seeking to bear evil and bring oppression. And the beginning of the big thing that God's about to do starts with that group of women. Think about the gospel itself. Luke, the gospel of Luke. How does the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done, it begins with two women together, Mary and Elizabeth, and they're bringing about life and nurturing and coming to the help in a real way of the entirety of creation. And they're bringing about the life of John the Baptist, a promised prophet, and Jesus Christ, the promised Savior. May we be a church that, that honors and empowers women to be who you're created to be to the glory of God. And as we see God's unique design for men and women, that we would also celebrate and live in the midst of the interdependence between us. That's the last thing we need to see, God's design for interdependence. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs, in Hebrew it's translated probably best side, and closed up its place with flesh. God fashions a woman not from the ground like every other creature, including man, up to this point. But he fashions her from the bone, the rib of Adam. And Scripture poetically and powerfully holds that unity, the oneness between man and woman. And and I'm so thankful for the old Presbyterian Puritan Matthew Henry who expounded on this verse so beautifully that it's it's really like pervasive, the understanding of it. I was hanging out with my 11-year-old boy and I read that verse to him and I said, do you know what that means? And he was like, yeah. I was like, explain it to me. And he said, well, you know, like woman didn't come from the skull. She doesn't like rule over him. She doesn't come from the foot bone like men trample on her. She comes from the side. He's like close to his heart and he loves her. It's like, Okay. Thank you, Frontline Kids Church, I think, right? But he was paraphrasing what Matthew Henry said 300 years ago. He says, Eve was not made out of his head to rule him, not made out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near to his heart to be beloved. And in light of seeing this reality, Adam breaks out in in praise and love. Verse 22, And the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. (laughs) It's, It's as if this moment, like everything in creation up to this point in a real way was like a bridesmaid coming down the aisle. And here, the music changes Everyone stands up, and the heavenly father with his daughter on his arm enters in, and the crescendo of all creation is a union of man and woman as husband and wife, and all creation is like a wedding ceremony. And in this moment, Adam sees Eve, and she's sinless and perfect in every way on the arm of her heavenly father, and he overflows in poetry. Verse 23, then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Adam proclaims that this woman Eve is bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, that that 
that she is like him. There's language there. In, in the Hebrew expresses that he understands that she is totally like him, but she is also very different. And she was the missing piece all along and that creation is now complete because they're together. And just like God placed Adam in the garden, it's as if he places Eve in Adam's heart. And what he knows is that they're both image bearers. They're both fully ruling and representing and reflecting and relying on God, but they're in that unity, they're beautifully different. And from the beginning, it was good to be a woman and it was good to be a man. And still today, under God's good design, it's good to be a woman and it's good to be a man because families and church and society, we need men and women and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and husbands and wives and nanas and papas all together interdependent and complementary to each other. Or in the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man nor man of woman for as woman was made from man so now man is born of woman and all things are from God it's worth slowing down to meditate on the beauty when it relates to the meaning of what it means to be a man and the meaning of what it means to be a woman and the interdependence of each other together that that creation is just moving towards that union, that complementary equality with distinct roles working together, living together for the glory of God, that creation crescendos and begins all of the narrative of, of what God is doing begins with the wedding. And what struck me this week is what's so sweet in a real way, according to the Gospel of John, the ministry of Jesus begins with the wedding too. And we don't have time to get into all the nuances, but Jesus is hanging out at a party, and evidently people loved having Jesus at parties. And so he's at this wedding feast in this place called Cana in Galilee, and something that we don't really fully grasp is, is, is happening, and it's just tragedy. It's, it's a train of shame bearing down on this family that this wedding feast that was meant to be an extended celebration very early on is running out of wine. And so Jesus' mom, like a life giver and a rescuer, <laughs> pulls her son aside and says, hey, we need more wine. And quoting Jesus, he says, woman, why do you involve me? And then he says, my hour has not yet come. And I love Mary. She just doesn't respond to that in, in the Gospel of John and looks at the servants and says, do whatever he says which is the best advice when it comes to Jesus. Just do whatever he says. Listen to Mary. May all of us listen to Mary. And in Jesus, moved by his mother, he takes a bunch of water and he transforms it into wine. And this is what the MC of the wedding says when this wine is served. He says, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you, speaking to this family, honoring this family, Jesus did all this subtly in secret, but looking at this couple and their family, you, they received the honor of what Jesus did. You saved the best until now. And then John goes, John goes on to wrap up the story in the gospel and he says, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee, listen to this, was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. 
Meaning that, hey, what he did here was not like a parlor trick. It wasn't unintentional. What did Jesus say to his mom? He says, my hour has not yet come. You know what what that hour is? It's his crucifixion on the cross. He was aware of what was before him. It's where he was heading for his entire life. He knew that he had come to sacrificially lay his life down. But what he's giving a glimpse of in this moment is, hey, I'm going to provide wine right now so that you can participate in this wedding feast. One day, I'm not going to provide wine. I'm going to shed my very blood so that you, through my sacrifice, by grace, can sit down at a wedding feast All weddings, all parties, the greatest joy we experience on this earth is just a glimpse of what is to come, which Revelation 19 describes as the wedding feast of the Lamb, where the church, the bride of Christ, is joined with Jesus when all things are made new, and it's the most incredible party of all time. And so Jesus saved this little wedding to say, hey, I'm actually going to save everyone who calls upon my name as Lord and Savior, that we can be joined together in celebration and love forever because of what I've done for you. That we were made by love, we were made for love, we were redeemed by love, and in Christ we're moving towards love all because of who Christ Jesus is. And so what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, what it means to live together, whether it's in marriage or community or, or church, that all of that's done in a way that our love for one another proclaims the greatest love that we know, the love of Christ Jesus for us. Let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, I'm, I'm really aware that we're like swimming in deep waters here. These are big questions and, and profound truths. And I'm even aware of just the, the, the things that maybe were left unsaid and, and questions that may have arisen. And we just thank you, Holy Spirit, that you give us understanding. And that you give us community as a gift. And we're not alone because you're helping us and we have each other. And we have your word. But I pray that everything that was helpful and from you and true today as we looked at your word would be planted in our hearts and bear fruit in a way that as we walk out our unique God-given design as women or men and with one another that you would be glorified. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. God's people said.